0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 307 of the Fun With Cars, Formula One, and Other Motorsports Podcast, or episode 41 of 2021. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man who thinks aerodynamicists are the smartest people in the world, Christopher Roche. Hey Chris. Hey Robin,
1: they've certainly got to be up there.
0: It is Thursday morning, October 28th, and Chris and I are going to talk about the United States Grand Prix, and Chris... Lucky you because I have also interviewed a senior aerodynamicist at Alfa Romeo Racing Orleans, Franca Schroeder, and I learned a bit about what it's like to be inside the factory of a Formula One team. It's so, so cool. I got to talk to a Formula One engineer. Very excited to share this with everyone. Very cool. And there's lots to discuss about the United States Grand Prix as well, but alas, I suspect that there is some Formula One news to discuss first, Chris.
1: Yeah, so first piece of news, we talked about the calendar for next year in the last podcast. It seems that Austin's place on the calendar isn't yet confirmed. And there's some speculation around uh, a race in Las Vegas. So,
0: Oh, no, yeah. no, 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 <laughs> no,
1: They want to use the Strip as well. So they'll be trundling down with the backdrop of uh, pirate ships and oh. uh, water fountains. And um, yes, yeah, and, I, I and, I guess, the, and
0: the Eiffel Tower, quote unquote.
1: I mean the the race was a spectacular success over the weekend, and uh, the sheer joy of the fans, and it was you know fully packed out uh, all weekend, uh, was evident for all to see over the TV. So well, and celebrity laden as well. Indeed, it was. Uh, so hopefully, this is just a quick negotiating tactic uh, over the uh, the, the amount of money Austin or Cota has to stump up for future Grand Prix, but let's hope they get they find a deal and that that race stays on the calendar because it would be a massive loss to Formula 1 and, and uh, US Racing in particular if it uh, got replaced by another location.
0: Well, I want everyone in the Formula 1 community to know that I am drinking hot tea with milk and sugar to encourage the uh, Formula 1 brethren to understand that uh, the United States comes with open arms and uh, maybe you don't need to get every last penny out of Texas to put this
1: race on that is
0: still worth doing.
1: Second piece of news, Sauber. We talked again last week about the possibility of Andretti buying Sauber or Alfa Romeo as it goes by these days. Um, And none other than Ralph Schumacher said that the deal was done and was going to be announced on the Sunday of the Grand Prix at Cota uh, that announcement never came, and it looks like the deal is not done and won't actually happen now, um, and it looks like it's all down to money again, of course. Um, the interesting aspects of the deal were €350 uh, million Euros was the price, and then there was some vast sum, to another €250 million, Euros that had to be put into escrow for the five years to cover running expenses in the event that uh, Sauber couldn't find sponsorship. So you're talking 600 million euros uh, or 700 million dollars to those of us who who prefer the greenback. Um, and that was uh, maybe too much for Michael and company. Um, you know, to give that some context, Williams was sold to Doralton for about 200 million dollars uh, not so long ago. I
0: thought that was I euros, 200
1: million euros. Um. I, okay. I, I'm you, pretty you sure it's be. dollars, I, but I, I, no,
0: no, no. If 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 you if it's dollars, I believe you. I, I thought that one was euros, but okay, that's because that's what 175 million euros somewhere in there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it doesn't really matter, does it? The point is, no, they're all rounding they, are indeed, especially for people like Lawrence Stroll, but. The point is, is that whether it's 200, 150, you know, who in their right mind thinks Sauber's worth three times Williams? (laughs) You know, Sauber has a fine history, don't get me wrong. They've been in the sport a long time since the 90s. Um, They've had their highlights. Uh, I don't recall them actually winning any championships uh, in Formula One uh, or actually any races. Uh, That's not true. They've
0: they've won uh, lots of Formula One races and championships. Um, just under different names, you know. Back when they were Renault, and uh, they ran under the they were Ferrari for a while, and um, and then who else? Oh, they were McLaren for a bit. They just they've just had several name changes. That's all. Because now, yeah. Chris, they are now uh, Alfa Romeo Racing Orlean, as I was as as I was told very specifically. So. It, it's not It's not even just Alfa Romeo. It's Alfa Romeo Racing or Lean.
1: Well, I mean, to be serious for a second, there are a lot of teams that go by a lot of different names, but essentially it is the same team. I mean, Enstone is the classic example. You know, the, the Formula One team based at Enstone and, has... And that is Renault, run
0: under the, or has been Renault. That is Renault, yeah.
1: exactly. And it also ran as Benetton and Tolman and Lotus uh, and actually has had some success and won championships. But... You know, and is and real right.
0: quick we'll just say and is now Aston Martin Racing. Oh no no no! I've got that wrong. Sorry sorry
1: sorry. Alpine it's, it's now it's Alpine. Alpine exactly. That's right. Um, now you know talk about Aston Martin Racing formerly Force India, uh, Marussia, uh, Jordan, Midland again. I think they've won Formula One races exactly. But this team, for Romeo, uh, you know again it does seem to be a high price to be asking. Uh, so I'm not surprised Andretti has walken- walked away. Hopefully, there's still interest there. and Maybe he's just looking for a better deal, either with that team or a different team in the future. I guess regarding Colton Herta, he doesn't have any any uh, super license points, so he was never going to be on the grid next year. But certainly, uh, um, let's keep watching this space, but no, no deal for either of them is, is imminent, uh, unfortunately. It, it, and it, a, fun- a
0: race-winning IndyCar driver? is worth zero super license points as far as the FIA FIA is concerned? (laughs) Are you serious? (laughs) I am serious, yes. Okay. I'm I'm going to dump this tea out if I keep... Oh, well, no, I I guess the FIA FIA is French. I don't want to dump out any champagne. Oh, this is tough.
1: Um. Moving on, let's talk about sprint races for next year. So there's going to be six. In no, come on!
0: Why are you just <laughs> are you just bad news bears today? What's going on here? There's oh, no, going to be no. six sprint hey, on, races, wait. and every single one of them will be in a Las Vegas parking lot, overlooking you know, overlooking <laughs> the Sphinx in the background, or you know, will be by the desert. You know, let's just have the race at the Red Red Rock Canyon State Park. There's lovely roads around there.
1: Good news Robin hold on hold hold your anger and, and uh, all right tell me about the lorry one. all right so first of all qualifying on friday is going to set the grid for the sunday race and pole position will be set on friday and will okay. go back to its traditional way so what does that mean for the sprint race the sprint race <laughs> will become more of an isolated event oh, on saturday come on. It will be run in reverse championship grid order. Oh, okay. And more points will be awarded for the sprint race. So essentially you'll have a you'll have a traditional qualifying on Friday, feeding the grid for a traditional race on Sunday, and in the middle of that you'll have this chaotic reverse grid affair where presumably we'll be treated to lots of overtaking and the sight of Nikita Mazpan leading for at least, you know, 100 yards. <laughs> and <That's a> tr- <laughs> that is a good point. We'll see how many headrests come
0: loose next uh, year with these sprint races.
1: <laughs> um, I mean, it doesn't sound like a bad idea. It, again, But it, it, sounds it does, like, though. Come on, Chris. Oh.
0: It does, because it's just becoming more of a circus there's there's less seriousness to it now. It's just more of a let's just jumble things. I mean, seriously, how far are we from okay, pick your grid spot out of a hat and then we're going to play spin the tail on the donkey and that'll determine how much fuel you'll get and then there'll be like some crowdsourced fan-based push to pass number or like how much you
1: can use your DRS or something. It's just getting more absurd. Robin, I I protest at you giving Ross Braun more ideas for next year. (laughs) (laughs) Look, what I will say is I'd rather them try something different than persist with the sprint races it's been run this year because it hasn't worked as we've talked about. It hasn't really. delivered uh you know this this i certainly think there's some positives to it but i can also see a lot of negatives and the racing of the sprint itself hasn't been that compelling um sort of undermining the whole point of doing it in the first place well, so the- yeah they need to try something else for next year and if we're going to have twice as many they, they've at least got to got to see if they can make it better
0: well here's here's he, now now ross can listen in this is a tiny touch more serious the, the i have concerns about Very real concerns, especially if it's in reverse championship order, car damage, crash damage happening during the sprint race and compromising your race on Sunday. Yeah, that's a real issue, especially for some of the smaller teams who find themselves up front with a lot of faster cars behind them and they want to defend their position because they want to have a good showing because it's their chance to move up to one of those big teams. I'm sure some of the younger drivers will think in the smaller teams. So... You have that issue. Why not? If we're just if we're if we're making this whole thing a farce, throw them in a spec car too. Put them in reverse championship order. Put them in specked out, you know, F two cars or something. Maybe not exactly that, but you know, put them in a, a given car that's equal and just go run around that way. I mean, if it's gonna be a spectacle, just let's let's go full on. Let's not have it half baked in any way. Just spec car, you know, like an international race of champions, like Iraq kind
1: of a thing that we did in the States. I mean, Saturday could turn into a whole festival, couldn't it? We could have running races, uh, three legged races, yeah, we could, get uh, our arm potato wrestle. sack races. We could, in do there. Some, could do some karting. Yeah, it could be a whole fun, fun day, really. And then we'll get back to normal Grand Prix racing on a Sunday.
0: Well, because, well, so I mentioned Iraq, Iraq, excuse me, international race of champions that was you know any car drivers and nascar drivers and stuff like that those guys compete then what was the other the other annual one that's more international um i can't think of the name of it right now but formula 1 drivers have won in the past it's it's usually a rally driver favored thing
1: yeah, I know the one you're, you're thinking of. Yeah, they usually ha- uh, compete as nations, don't they? Yeah, and I think in fact uh, Mika Hakkinen and Henrik uh, Botas are teaming up in the next event. But uh, yeah, I can't remember what it's called yeah. either. But yeah, that's I mean that's a great that's a great event. Uh, it's a lot of fun when you actually get to see some some coverage of it. But yeah, it doesn't really have much place in a Grand Prix weekend. I do agree with you. Right.
0: Well, um, so I have some IndyCar racing news to, to discuss. And um, I'm going to start with something that is a little bit less exciting, but perhaps more important, and that is that Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing is going to be a three-car team next year with Graham Ray Hall, Jack Harvey. We talked about that earlier. He's leaving uh, Michael Shank Racing and joining Ray Hall Letterman. And Christian Lundgaard, so the Danish driver that entered in a couple of Grand Prixs, uh, Grand Prixs, in a couple of IndyCar Car races, um, four twenty one, impressed enough, and is, will now be a third, a uh, third full time driver for Ray Hall, and that means that Graham Ray Hall is going to be surrounded by Europe. He's going to have a Dane and a Brit as teammates in his team that his dad owns. So that'll be fascinating. Plus. Uh, Graham is physically a big dude. He's like 6'2", 200 pounds, something like that. He is not your typical race car driver shape. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see how those guys work together as a team, three-car team.
1: Yeah, that sounds interesting. It looks like three-car teams are the trend in IndyCar, because I hear that McLaren are thinking of running a third car next season as well. Well, yes,
0: and uh, I know that that might work as a segue to the other bit of IndyCar racing news, (laughs) which is that who test drove an Aero SP McLaren? Nico Hulkenberg, the Hulk, jumped in an IndyCar for a test and uh, seemed to... Have to get used to the power steering or lack of power steering a bit, but uh, otherwise had a good time. What did did you hear about that? Is that your IndyCar news, by the way? That was. There's a little bit of an inside thing ahead of time that we were talking about who had IndyCar news and what it was.
1: That is my IndyCar news. Yeah, it sounds like the Hulk wants to join some of his fellow ex-Formula 1 drivers at this side of the pond. Yeah, I heard he wasn't blisteringly quick, but was um, you know settled into the car and... And um, we'll see if uh, if that goes anywhere. I mean, the, I think that would be good news, certainly for for Nico, uh, seeing as he hasn't been able to land a drive in Formula One, and still the reserve driver at Aston Martin. But uh, he's sadly his um, voodoo doll hasn't been working as effectively this year. Yeah, he couldn't
0: us. he couldn't get Lance to go out and to any of the COVID parties and uh, get sick, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. So uh, so yeah, he's. I mean, that's exciting. He's a, you know, I think we all believe he's a pretty good driver, quick driver. We've seen how Roman Grosjean has done uh, very well this year in IndyCar. So there's no reason to think that he also wouldn't be able to uh, excel as well if he was given the right car and uh, prepared well and, and committed to it. Good news.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that what I like about it is that we're getting, IndyCar is really getting, I'm not trying to make an apples-to-apples comparison here. But IndyCar is getting back into the late 80s, early 90s kind of momentum where truly internationally recognized motorsport category that people from Europe and Asia are interested in being in just as much as folks from the United States. And to a certain extent, that was a small part of IndyCar's demise in the mid 90s, there was a little bit of hubris wrapped around it. So hopefully, we can avoid the hubris this time, but really have uh, a nice international flavor to the sport because it really is distinctly different to Formula One in the mentality of what the car should be, how much it should cost, where we are from like spec versus fully independent teams. And, uh, those types of things. So I think there's, it's a real nice alternative to Formula One that uh, racing fans can see in addition to Formula One and really appreciate.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how the exodus or the, the flow of drivers uh, appears to be, you know, F1 to IndyCar. I mean, it used to be that uh, IndyCar was a good breeding ground for f- future Formula One drivers. Now it seems more like a retirement home. Um, but, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see it going both ways because certainly we've talked about a couple of exciting young drivers that excelled this year. People like Pato Award, uh, we've talked about Colton Herter. I mean, those guys seem to have enough talent that, that, uh, you know, they should be, they should be filling some of the seats in F1 rather than some of the pay drivers that we're, we're not so excited about. Well, and really, so I mean, a-
0: it's only a matter mm-hmm. of time before Jimmy Johnson's in a Formula One seat, don't you think? I mean... Can't be. He's he's certainly, he's turning
1: some heads. I'm hoping that's a Formula One seat not attached to a Formula One car. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and my joke was going to be he's
0: turning heads and he's turning the cars in with the heads um, as well. (laughs) Yeah, no, you know, but in all seriousness, you know, I think Rossi was 100% quick enough to be a Formula One driver. I think Joseph Newgarden is 100% quick enough to be a Formula One driver. Uh, the names you mentioned, Pato Award for sure, uh, Colton Herda for sure. Those are names that I'm not guaranteeing, but I'm saying that they would have real potential. Because if you look at guys like Max Chilton, he was slow in Formula 1. He wasn't front-running. He's not front-running in IndyCar either. Marcus Erickson, he was very hit and miss in Formula 1. He's very hit and miss here in IndyCar. Um, the difference is is that when he's hit and not miss he has the potential to win races and he's done so so there are i think definitely if you were to put formula one drivers versus indycar drivers on a talent scale i would agree that formula one talent is the highest but i think there's overlap is my point
1: yeah absolutely couldn't agree more
0: okay there was a race actually to talk about this was the race that is a big deal for folks like me and uh also a big deal for folks like you and folks like you and folks like me are kind of the same thing i guess we're both american citizens the usgp the one in austin the one that we had a whole podcast just to kind of like build up the momentum for because that was it was that exciting for us and
1: boy oh boy did it deliver it was a cracking weekend in austin great race exciting race didn't know who's going to win well you probably did but yeah you could you could Speculate, well, there might be a different winner up it was, until
0: the last lap. It was kind of like guessing the sex of your child at birth. It's like, yeah, you don't know, maybe, but you have you know fifty-fifty chance here.
1: So, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty hot. So it was it was a warm old weekend in Austin and humid. The tire wear was was pretty rapid, which uh, which led us to a two stopper race. Um, the uh, The grid was was i mean interesting i mean i guess the highlight from qualifying was sergio perez's performance i mean really bang on the pace or you know in with a shout of getting pole position his first ever uh that was a surprise i don't think anyone was expecting sergio to to deliver in in austin in quite that manner well
0: the first uh, the first run in q3 sergio set the benchmark he he put in the pole lap for the first five minutes of q3 he was on it he was right there
1: provisional pole exactly Yep. and then um, unfortunately for him the two title protagonists, Hamilton and Verstappen, up the game. And uh, he was complaining that it was a bit damp in the last sector. Uh, I don't think it was any worse for him than anyone else, honestly. But uh, but yeah, it was, um, it was a strong weekend. And that really helped Max in his efforts for the win on Sunday. Uh, conversely, you know, Botas had one of his anonymous weekends, not helped by a five-grid place penalty for an internal combustion engine change. So... Yeah. Um, I mean, to be fair, he
0: qualified, Mm -hmm. Botas qualified fourth, so he was in that mix. Now, he was a couple of tenths off of uh, Hamilton, you know, three, three and a half tenths off of Hamilton. So, obviously, not on it, and Botas can be quite quick on Saturday. But my point is, it's not like he qualified sixth or seventh. You know, he was right there, but then, as you said, he had the five-place grid penalty, which put him down in ninth.
1: Yeah, I mean, one fifth of the grid took engine penalties. So we, as well as Bottas, we had Vettel, Alonso and Russell. That's pretty pretty ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, when, when was the last Grand Prix where someone didn't take an engine penalty? Uh, this just now seems to be a feature of the back end of the Formula One season. Um, Which and-
0: uh, it goes back to my point that you and we discussed this a couple of podcasts ago. It's like, okay, you keep reducing the number of engines allowed. You keep adding the number of grand prix this is an inevitability this is math
1: yes it's it's a little bit absurd and it may well influence where the title goes frankly Um, i have an idea
0: how about the race engines have a sprint race a few times a year (laughs) and the winner of that sprint race gets a free additional engine gets free oil change Ooh, discounted oil change what do you think
1: why don't we have a um, roulette wheel of engines and we spin it every weekend? <laughs> we switch, each, each driver gets.
0: Yeah, and let's throw in like let's put like let's put a DFV in there. Let's put <laughs> Oh yeah <laughs> Let's get V
1: twelve. Could I have V twelve, yeah,
0: yeah, please? Yeah, let's get um let's get ooh, let's get one of the Lamborghini. Was that a V ten or a V twelve? One of those late eighties, early nineties Lamborghini. Formula one engines. I
1: think it was. I think it was a twelve, wasn't it? Yeah.
0: Let's let's throw. Let's come on. Let's let's have some fun with this.
1: Can we have the one and a half liter four pot high high turbo engines from the eighties? Yeah, as well? yeah. Wasn't it BMW had the highest like what, twelve hundred horsepower in quality mode? let as well
0: uh, yeah, I, I, th- oh. th- I thought right towards the end they were pushing 1500 horsepower in qualifying oh, yeah way. and it was like it was good for 7 8ths th- eight, of a lap and then you coasted in or something
1: <laughs> and let's throw like a the explosion propels you over the line yeah
0: and let's throw in like a Mercedes diesel truck engine like that can be like the short stick kind of a thing
1: well that's the one that somehow <laughs> 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 yeah see this is pure motorsport this is what we want <laughs> Good. So, um, I mean, the other highlights from Quali were that, uh, you know, the, the Ferrari McLaren battles heating up really nicely.
0: Oh, man. Uh, it's Ferrari super cool slightly, to watch that. Yeah. slightly yeah. ahead again. Yeah. And as a pure coincidence, I also want to talk about Alfa Romeo. Um, Antonio Giovinazzi uh, qualified 13th and Raikkonen 18th. Raikkonen seemed to care about qualifying as much as he cares about... Uh, the much much of the rest of the season here, he's he's coasting it on home. I think.
1: Yeah, I think he's starting to make it. You know, he's just he's on his his farewell tour. And he's just enjoying enjoying uh, you know the memories, building the memories. So yeah, then we went into the race. Obviously, we had uh, you know speculation about whether Hamilton and Verstappen would hit each other. Hamilton got a great start off the line. Well, uh, hold Verstappen on. Tried Actually, to-
0: I'm sorry, I'm mm-hmm. sorry to interrupt here. I should have brought this up earlier, Chris. But uh, yeah. I th- what was really nice, part of the whole festivities of the weekend was Willie T. Ribbs was a part of the pre-race ceremonies and the pre-race television coverage on Sky Sport slash ESPN. And he had some really interesting insights about Hamilton and Max Verstappen starting the race one, two. Um, did you hear any of that from him?
1: I did not see any of that, I must admit.
0: Yeah, so Willie T. Ribbs. So, Willie T. Ribbs is the first black man to drive a Formula One car. He did so, I believe, in the 70s, and it was something put together by Bernie Ecclestone had a test. And he thinks really highly of Formula One and a Bernie Ecclestone. Uh, he, was, he was interviewed on Beyond the Grid not that long ago. And he said that he thinks Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen are too smart to run into each other, turn one, lap one, but that you're going to see some intense fighting the last 10 laps. And I was like, wow. He, I thought, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. But he was spot on, pretty much, I thought.
1: Well, yeah, he was. They didn't They didn't hit each other. Although Max did did push Lewis fairly far to the left of the track, didn't he? I mean, that was an aggressive left-hand move. Yeah, but he um, gave I mean, a
0: car width and an inch... You know, and Lewis Hamilton took it and, and made the most of it.
1: Which, I mean, actually, so this is this is where the, the second drivers are, are proving to be important, and Perez's good performance in Austin was key because he compromised his turn one, Max did. Oh, um, yeah,
0: big time. yeah, and
1: yeah. Definite, definitely would have lost second place to anyone other than Sergio Perez. I mean, if Charles Leclerc had been there, he'd have, he'd have been in a bit more trouble. But Perez dutifully you know gave him gave him the the corner at, at turn 3 so he could uh,
0: I mean he was on the brakes almost no that's a really good point
1: yeah i mean definitely you know we all know max won the race i think that the whole strategy by red bull was fairly inspired there's no doubt that max and the red bull seemed just a hair quicker than lewis and the mclaren this week this weekend um but they they used it you know, very intelligently, and they used Perez very intelligently to really limit Hamilton's options and and restrict what he could do. And that's just one of the examples. I mean, obviously, with with Lewis getting first place from the start and track position, um, it was very clear that that he couldn't pull away. That Max had you know more than enough pace to to stay well within the one second DRS zone, and then so you know Red Bull in, decided to go for a super aggressive early early stop and uh the undercut especially given that max clearly had a performance advantage at that point of the race and that lewis was struggling on his medium compound tires was massive i mean huge undercut um and you know from there on in it always looked like lewis was on the back foot and struggling so but you know max again was a little bit fortunate he, he stopped on lap 10 and early in the race and you would expect there to be more long runners in a grand prix uh in reality you know the pace of of him and lewis was was sufficient to have got ahead pretty much the whole field with the exception of uh ricardo and and leclerc um drivers he had to pass he got he, he did a good job of dispatching ricardo on his outlap and then leclerc pitted so you know he he really didn't have any traffic at all, which allowed him to to utilise the pace of the new tyres, and obviously then make sure that he would he would resume in the lead once Lewis pitted a couple of laps later. One of the things I was thinking about after the race was: could Mercedes have tried that strategy? Could they have tried to undercut, you know, Red Bull, and even even from the lead of the race? And Mercedes themselves said a couple of days after the Grand Prix that they think that they could have. Because the Mercedes worked so well on the hard compound tyre that they could have pitted as as early as lap eight. Um, And so you're sort of wondering if they could have done to Max what he did to them. But in reality, I don't think it would have worked out for Mercedes that way either. Because Lewis would have had to pass more drivers on track. And Red Bull would have switched both Max and uh, Perez's strategies if Lewis had pitted early. Max had more pace on the mediums so could have stayed out longer and and gone a lot quicker than Lewis was able to achieve and then Red Bull would obviously have just left Perez out there to act as a blocker so I don't think Mercedes really were able to execute any sort of strategy that would have changed the result that it fundamentally came down to the fact that Max and Red Bull were faster
0: yeah I think that's the fundamental point they were faster and You could see it in even in the second half of the race when Verstappen was in the lead on older tires. Lewis was gaining, but not by a huge margin. And even when Lewis had big chunks of clear track, he never pulled in huge, huge chunks of time. And Max was able to drive in a way that kept his lead, kept the gap from shrinking too much without ruining his tires in the process. And, uh,
1: exactly. Yeah. I mean, Lewis got it down to about a, a one and a half seconds in the closing laps. And and just, they, they then seem to, whether it's the dirty air of the Mercedes or or the tire life of Max being able to, to sustain it, as you mentioned. You know, Max was able to match Lewis. It was only on the last lap that he allowed him to close within one second. Um, by which point, obviously, it was too late for him to do anything and really have a, have a, a real shot at a pass. So... No, it was, um, it was definitely a very smart strategy by Red Bull, and Mercedes just didn't, didn't look to have any, any real answers, unfortunately, for, for uh, Lewis.
0: Yeah, and this is on the back of the fact that uh, there was a lot of talk and speculation that uh, Mercedes had gained big amounts of straight-line speed, uh, doing some clever tricks uh, with the rear diffuser, I think, finding a way to stall it out to give them some more straight-line speed. And even Lewis Hamilton in an interview leading up to the Grand Prix said that he thought that the Mercedes would be strong in a straight line. Didn't appear to be noticeably quicker than the Red Bull or anybody in a straight line at Coda, to me at least.
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, Bottas had a struggle making real progress from ninth on the grid, didn't he? I mean, he finally got up to sixth. Um, (laughs) He never, he never was able to catch Ricardo or Leclerc, so let alone Perez. And this is a so kilometer yeah, I mean,
0: long back straight we're talking about. So, no, yeah. we've got some. You've got some real time to build up speed here.
1: Yeah, the, I think the issue though is, is you know, your sector one, isn't it? You really can't follow that closely through sector one because you've got you know, constant left-right turns, high-speed corners. Um, so you, your front end washes out if you try and if you try and stay too close to the car in front. And so by the time you actually get to that uh, left hander onto the straight, you, you're normally you know a reasonable way back, even if you have got a, a car or tyre advantage. Um, and Red Bull so, probably
0: still had a sector one advantage.
1: Yeah, that's right. They looked definitely Red Bull looked quicker than Mercedes through sector one. Um, whether or not that was you know the nature of the the ambient temperature that they're I mean Max was on the radio early in the race saying that Lewis was sliding around and that he wasn't and that he seemed to have more grip and more pace. So it was clear that uh, the Red Bull was just working better at Cota. So you know, I mean you got to you got to hand it to Max and Red Bull. I mean they delivered I'm on a track that a lot of people thought would favor Mercedes going into the weekend, they, uh, they absolutely nailed it. I mean, every, every, every aspect of their weekend, both drivers did a superlative performance through qualifying in the race. And so a 1-3 result for them is absolute dreamland, especially heading into two races that you would expect to favour Red Bull. I mean, they have a chance here of really taking control of, uh, certainly the Drivers' Championship and maybe even wrestling back the initiative on the Constructors' side.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely right. Now, Mercedes does still have a lead in the constructors, but depending on how Mexico and Brazil go, you're absolutely right. It could uh, swap around even there. Um, So you mentioned it earlier on, McLaren v. Ferrari. Boy, that was really something to watch. So my question to you is, did Daniel's run in the cup car help him in his Formula 1 car? He was the lead McLaren here, but he did end up finishing behind Charles Leclerc.
1: I mean we say good battle between McLaren and Ferrari but in reality it was a good battle between the two McLarens and Carlos Sainz. I mean Charles um, had a bit more pace than the other three didn't he and basically ran a pretty lonely race to fourth not quite able to keep up with Sergio but well ahead of, of that battle. Um yeah Danny had a good weekend. I mean I think Lando Lando didn't didn't have a strong weekend. He, he uh, you know for example his Q3 lap was slower than his Q2 lap. Which is a little bit unusual. Yeah, because um, well, it wasn't so wet outside.
0: He, he's really he prefers the wet.
1: <laughs> but but for sure, Daniel had a strong strong weekend. The, the the battling with Carlos was one of the highlights of the of the race for sure. And he ended up you know winning that particular battle. And and as I said earlier, finishing ahead of Valtteri Bottas. So you know even with the penalty, being able to stay ahead of a Mercedes is no no mean uh, effort, is it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, this this was the kind of Daniel Ricardo performance I think many of us were expecting all year. And they, it still kind of seems to come and go, but it seems to be coming on more often this time around. So I'm hoping that this kind of is the way it is going forward, that Daniel is right there with Lando and sometimes even ahead of him. You know, Daniel Ricardo was a fairly highly rated driver going into the 21 season. It's been tough to watch him struggle, but he seems to be slowly but surely getting the better of it and getting his head around this McLaren.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure these the the Duff performances have completely ended, but it seems like he's putting more strong weekends together than bad weekends now. So whereas before it was like the odd good weekend in a sea of bad weekends, he's he's getting that turned around. So eventually, hopefully, I get to the point where they're all they're all strong. But yeah, he uh, he enjoyed his Cup car run. And, um, and, and certainly it, it, uh, it translated into his F1 run as well. Yep. I, I thought it was very odd that Ferrari sent Carlos out on the soft compound tyre in Q2, which it forced him to start the race on that tyre that was, that was certainly very unfavoured. Uh, but I, to be fair to him, he made it work. I mean, he managed to hold Norris off. And, um, and and kept ahead of him throughout the Grand Prix. So some fine driving by Carlos, despite Ferrari shooting him in the foot.
0: Yuki Tsunoda finished in the points again. Another strong race for him. He's already been confirmed for next year, but uh,
1: this was this was a strong drive from Yuki. And he's proving to be a driver that's hard to pass, isn't he? Nobody really likes trying to get past Tsunoda. Yeah,
0: he makes that car <laughs> quite wide,
1: absolutely. Yeah, yeah. How about uh, Alonso? He was a bit of the star of the race, wasn't he? Oh, he
0: was just tremendous to watch. Such a shame that he had a DNF. I mean, both Alpines were out, uh, you know, did not finish, uh, you know, effectively 18th and 19th. Um, the only person that did worse was Pierre Gasly, who had a DNF um, on lap 14. But, uh, yeah, Alonso was just uh, brilliant to watch throughout the Grand Prix.
1: Yeah, he really took it to the Alfa Romeos, both Raikkonen and, and Giovinazzi. Uh, a lot of radio transmissions about passing off track, um, which was the case, really, <laughs> in all yeah, most I of mean, those maneuvers.
0: There, there were, that was not clear-cut. It did seem kind of bizarre, the way the rules were being uh, laid down. They're inconsistent, I should say.
1: Yeah, it does seem does seem like there's different steward opinions, depending on the corner, the car. You know, it it does look like they have sort of a... magic eight ball that they shake every time something happens and then they go, Oh yes.
0: It is bizarre. And it did seem like a pass where you were outside of the track at some point in the pass was okay in some circumstances, not okay in the other. And it wasn't like one was one hundred and eighty degrees apart from the other. They were both cars ended up outside of the track on exit of the corner and somehow they got by or somehow they didn't or whatever. And it seemed Awfully inconsistent to me. Yeah,
1: my favourite moment was when Alonso dived down the inside from miles back on Giovinazzi at the end of the straight. You know, he had no hope of of making the corner, whistled off into the runoff area. Managed to get it turned and then blocked Giovinazzi off for the next right hander, and was cheering as if it was the best movie he's ever made. I mean, it was just outrageous. <laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: But fine entertainment. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Alfa Romeo uh, are, do seem to be knocking on the door of getting the odd point now and again, actually. They, their pace has definitely improved relative to some of the other midfield runners. Um, it doesn't seem like Giovinazzi is going to save his F1 career, though, even though he has been stronger of late. It looks like uh, he's going to be done for, from the end of this year. Um, which is a shame because I think we're finally starting to see you know, the talent that he obviously has. I mean, up until this point, he's been totally anonymous and normally slower than Raikkonen. It's a shame that he wasn't able to find this performance earlier, I think. And it's going to cost him his uh, seat.
0: That's absolutely true, though Kimi is also, as we talked about earlier, showing more and more signs of just coasting it on home. So this isn't necessarily the Kimi Raikkonen that you want to be benchmarked against you know do you know what i mean like this is like okay well if you're quicker than him now by a little bit now that he's just a few races from being done and losing copious amounts of interest in the sport um as each day goes by that's not necessarily the way to keep your ride but i agree with you that he is performing well and he did Alfa Romeo Racing. Um, he finished just outside of the points in that car, eleventh, and Räikkönen was right there. He was thirteenth. It was Lance Stroll in the second Aston Martin between the two of them. So, yeah, it, it was a reasonable showing. It's just, I agree with you that it's this isn't. He would need some real Nick Heidfeld level standout performances if he wants to somehow find another contract for next year.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's been, I mean, you're right about the comparison to his teammate, but he's been getting into Q2. He qualified 13th. So he's, he's out-qualifying the likes of Alonso Russell-Stroll, um, which, you know, is the, is, is the more established, faster teams generally this season. And he's done that on a few occasions in the last few Grand Prix so he's definitely upped his game, um, even if Raikkonen has, has maybe dropped a little bit. Um, so, But yeah, it's the same old, same old, isn't it? You can't up your pace around contract renewal time. You've got to deliver week in, week out, even when no one's paying attention or no one's threatening you with losing your seat. You've still got to, you're in Formula One. You've got to absolutely nail it from the beginning. Um, and uh, yeah, he's failed. You know, if you look at his whole career in Formula One, he's just failed to really take the opportunity uh, you know, it's, we're in the eleventh hour now, and he's he's showing promising signs, but it's it's too late. It's too late. Did you see that we now have something called the Canadian Cup in Formula One, or at least I think they should introduce it? The, uh, the Latifi <laughs> Stroll Battle.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm happy to watch it. I know that much, and I'm I'm Team Latifi just because I'm going to be Ontario over Quebecois, their neighbors have to be neighborly. But uh
1: yeah. Why not, right? Yeah, I mean they uh they were they were quite close to each other at various times during the race. No love lost there. It appears um stroll won won that particular battle. So, yeah, I mean overall, good good race. Um absolute uh winner for for Max. I, I mean, I would uh if I was a betting man, definitely expect he's going to win his first title this year frankly it looks like it's 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 all uh, aligning he's, he's delivering, he's driving very 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 well and uh, he, you know if he, if he plays his cards right and keeps calm he's got a really good shot of being a Formula 1 world champion
0: Yeah, I, I, I think that this weekend considering that the majority of people put odds on Mercedes and that they were triumphant, that lends a lot of credo to what you just said absolutely but i want to go back to alfa romeo racing just a little bit further because i want you to know why i think that they were a little bit quicker and that is because of uh, franca schroeder and the uh, engineering team at alfa romeo racing Orleans. it was an absolute pleasure to speak with her and i'm really excited to share this with you guys so here's a listen well Let me see if I can first pronounce your name correctly. Dr. Franca Schroeder?
2: More or less. For for English, that's that's more than fine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that European caveat uh, whenever I pronounce a name. I always intend to pronounce it as correctly as possible, but uh, I appreciate your understanding of my English tongue.
2: No worries. No, it's the. I've lived in so many countries. I have heard so many different versions of my name. So I am happy with with whatever.
0: <laughs> well, just once so we can hear it. How how do you actually pronounce your name?
2: Uh, Franka Schröder.
0: Ah, wow. Yes, I was a fair amount off. Okay, Doctor Schröder, you are the senior aerodynamicist at Alfa Romeo Racing.
2: It's correct. It's Alfa Romeo Racing Orlen.
0: Orlen. Yeah. Okay. How did you come to have such a, a very cool and interesting job? How how did, what was the journey that took you to Switzerland and this position?
2: So I needed a little bit of time to explain that because the story is not, I saw the job at and I applied and I got the job. <laughs> so I studied in Berlin, aeronautical engineering. And during my first week at uni, my professor for aerodynamics told me, when you come to my lecture, I will explain to you why a Formula One car can drive on the ceiling of a tunnel. And I was like, yeah, this is what I want to learn. And this is why I am here. So the journey already started a long time ago. And then I did my PhD at RWTH Aachen University, also in Germany where I used stereo PIV measurement in the human lung. So I investigated the particle deposition in the human lung. Mm. And the main point there was that I used a measurement technique, which was an upcoming measurement technique in Formula 1 at the time. So during my PhD, I, I already helped the supplier for PIV systems with a customer measurements at, at the time Scuderia Tor Rosso. And when I finished my Ph.D. at the end of 2014, Toro Rosso was looking for a wind tunnel engineer with expertise in PIV systems, so I started a job there in early 2015, and this is how my journey in F1 started. I then installed the PIV system there, learned how to build up a model, did lots of a wind tunnel tire tests, and made sure that the pressure taps were all working. But after two and a half years, I wanted more, because for me, Formula One was more than wind tunnel testing. And the only <laughs> thing people see is the race team, no? the people at the track. So those men and women on TV, and people think those are the only ones working in F1. So I moved from the UK to Italy and I stayed with Toro Rosso, but I became a simulation engineer and I did lots of race support. I really enjoyed to see the different side of Formula One. At the end of the day, I am an experimental aerodynamicist. So when the opportunity to come up to rejoin the aero group of a different team, I took it. And now, as I said, I'm with Alfa Romeo Racing All-In.
0: When you were young and first deciding what avenue you would pursue in university, did you always have an interest in the technical side of the world? Did you always have an interest in engineering and science? Um, I and, or, or did that come later? And when did your interest in Formula One really begin?
2: So I always had an interest in uh, the STEM subject. Yes, yes. So I was always... I, Math was my favorite subject in school.
0: My math teacher mother would absolutely <laughs> love to hear that. So.
2: <laughs> so it was my favorite. The days where there was math classes, I, I loved to go to school. No, And um, I always wanted to become a dentist, but I always wanted to work in F1. And I think um, at the age of 14, 15, I realized those two things don't go together.
0: you could be the formula one dentist i suppose yes uh,
2: probably if
0: such a position exists
2: i I know that there's one dentist in formula one yes he's the the dutch tv broadcaster exactly
0: (laughs) there you go
2: so it but i think my um yeah all the people close to me were like this is not going to work out so come up with a new plan and i realized at the age of 16 that I wasn't like, I wasn't fit for purpose to become a dentist because everything is super small and I never had problems with my teeth, so it would have been super painful for my patients. No, they would have been constantly screaming. So um, I was looking for a different career and in berlin there is a lot of aeronautical engineering there's rolls royce and um, they do uh, turbines all kinds of and Siemens doing wind turbines so i looked into that and i really enjoyed that you No, know, and i enjoyed the engineering side what was going on at the time the airbus uh, a380 was a big thing in development in europe so i decided sure. to do aeronautical engineering and then as i told you no, the first day uh, at university, I learned, I can learn how to be an engineer in Formula One. So this is what's, what I need to do. And Formula One, like probably 80% of all Germans, Formula One was in the 90s and the early 2000s. It was Michael Schumacher. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I was a kid and I was watching TV with my dad on Sunday afternoons. And I remember that I was deeply upset every Sunday after the race because it meant the weekend was over and all the attention uh, to F1 was over. (laughs) And it was weeks until the next race. No, the calendar at the time wasn't as dense as it is nowadays where there is a race every week or every two weeks. So... Yeah.
0: The calendar is 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 quite remarkable these days. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So it sounds to me as if you had an interest, a a love, if you will, of Formula One from early age. But you didn't necessarily assume that that would be your career path, but your career path and your interest in Formula One just uh, happily uh, converged together in in a in a way at at a young age it sounds yes yeah that's lovely now in your role as senior aerodynamicist what does that entail what does that mean to do your work obviously you're at the factory you don't you don't follow the circus to the racetracks but what are you doing at the factory
2: yeah so Uh, One small correction. I'm a senior aerodynamicist, um, R&D, so research and development. So maybe, you know, we have limited development time and limited amount of runs, uh, which we can use for F1 development in the wind tunnel. So I am dealing with all the projects which help development to improve things and make things faster, gain a deeper understanding, trying new things to see whether we gain any benefits from them. So all the things development doesn't have time to look into. Yeah, I can do that because there are certain limitations for wind tunnel testing. No, um, you can, for example, put bluff covers on your front wing and your rear wing And then you are testing out of occupancy and you're testing out of the um, FIA runs, as we call it. I see. So
0: I don't know the correct way to say this necessarily. Does this mean that what you do is more in uh, computational fluid dynamics? Are you more on that side of things when you say that? Are you an alternative to wind tunnel
2: testing? No, I am trying to improve wind tunnel testing. I am testing.
0: Okay, 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 okay. Yes,
2: I'm trying to reach or look into the limits of wind tunnel testing and how we can improve it.
0: Okay. So you and how you can improve it, I would suspect largely means that how much data can you accumulate in the limited time that you were allowed to use it? Is that a good way to think of it?
2: That's a, It's a very good way of thinking of it. So how can we get more data, make it more understandable to either see are the data healthy and that we can make more use out of them?
0: And ideally I see. I in see. A
2: shorter amount of time.
0: Yeah. 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 Of course. Alfa Romeo uh, or is not one of the big teams, and yet you still have hundreds of people involved in that team. How big is your department? How big is the aerodynamicist department? Department, excuse me.
2: Our team is about uh, 550 employees. And I would say there are 100 working in aerodynamics, aerodynamic-related topics.
0: Wow, okay. And who is the, do you ultimately, is the top-level person you work with, like, say, the technical director? Like, what is the chain of command, as it were? Who do you, who reports to you? Who do you report to?
2: So I report to the head of um, Uh R&D, and he's reporting to the head of aerodynamics and he's reporting to the technical director.
0: Yes, okay. Yes, very good. And there's this line of people, it's it's a 550-person company, and you're in a big department. Aerodynamics is a huge part, and yet the goal of the team is very simple, to perform as well as possible at a Grand Prix. How does that focus your work when you see the results of your work over 20 times a year when you guys compete what is that feeling like
2: well i think i'm in a in a very special position in terms of that with the covid situation last year and all the restrictions we the team decided to get support engineers into the ops room during the race weekends to help Mm um different engineering groups and i volunteer to help out in the strategy group during the race weekend so i'm currently supporting half of the races from the factory so i think it gives me a different view on the race than and a different insight into the race and all the decisions made at the on the pit wall but i think that's a bit of the downside side of the aero department most of the time you're working on the future car, no? Like everything you see in the wind tunnel is two, three months ahead of what you see at the track.
0: Sure, sure.
2: And um, I know from my colleagues who are designing parts and put the car, the parts on the car and they see them at the racetrack, that this is, they are super proud of that. No, And this part is missing in my job. Um, for me, the satisfaction is to improve processes and measurement techniques. And I never see my work contributing uh, directly to the performance on the track.
0: Yeah, I understand. Yeah, so it's it's a bit more abstract, but clearly your work is still incredibly important.
2: Um, Yes, I would think so. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No. I. I, I will assure you if, if that if no one else does, uh, I, I. I find it hugely important and uh, very, very fascinating.
2: Maybe one thing to add. You no. Know, um, yeah. I think that there are so many people in the background which you don't see directly com- contributing to the performance on track, but they are still highly important. You no. Know, like for example, a wind tunnel group, which is making sure the wind tunnel. Can run whenever it needs to run. Yeah, that's a that's a big achievement, To make to have the facilities and to make sure that they are working in the right way.
0: Absolutely, yeah. What is your relationship with the drivers with the team principal? Like, how how often do you ever have contact with the drivers? If ever, Uh, do you have you ever met? Kimi Raikkonen, have you ever met Giovinazzi? I mean, uh, how is that a relationship? Does it even exist?
2: So I've met both of them because there was a meet and greet shortly after I started. So I've seen both of them from close proximity, (laughs) but I think the COVID situation is very special at the moment, no? And it's taking a lot of opportunities away, which are engaging people to really work for the drivers, no? If you don't, you see them every now and then. And um, I was very lucky to have a meet and greet with them two weeks ago, but it was an online Zoom call, no? Because at the end of the day, they need to limit the amount of people they are seeing, like everyone else at the moment. And maybe the news are also, like Kimi Räikkönen didn't race for two race weekends because uh, he unfortunately uh, had COVID.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was definitely, he announced his retirement and then a couple of days later, it was announced (laughs) that he he couldn't compete for a couple of weeks. That was was just such an unfortunate string of uh, news announcements.
2: Robin, just to give you an idea, before COVID, let's say once a month, there were organized, which we call like team info, where literally all employees came to an event area where the race team is there and they get presentation summary how each race weekend went. so it's really a come or get together with the whole team also with the people who who do not go to the racetrack but as Franca already mentioned of course covid made this all much more difficult For this reason we had to change those four formats into let's say video messages or zoom get together
0: I see. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating how just exactly how COVID has affected so many uh, aspects of our life. And it's interesting to find the different ways to find solutions to these problems. So that's fascinating.
2: And I think the team did a great job on that, to find those solutions, to get small video clips from the track, from the team principal, from the technical director, from the chief of track engineering. So we get inside views just in a different way than we when we got them before
0: yeah yeah and from those inside views do you feel that there's a misconception of what uh, Antonio Giovinazzi or Kimi Raikkonen what they are like as people um, do you feel like the media portrays them fairly or is it unfair in your opinion
2: well I think every one of us has at least two personalities. No, there is the probably there's a private Franca and there's a work Franca, and as there is a sure. private Robin and a and a work Robin, and I think for the drivers it is really hard to keep their privacy. No, to like really, sure. because at the end of the day, even though. You try or you want to trust everyone, no, but if you give an in information which is a little bit too private to the team and someone spoils it to the media, yeah, you will never find out who out of the 550 employees was it. So I think there's a different perception of the of the people. I think they are, um, especially Antonio Giovinazzi and also Kimi, they have their funny moments, no, which they also show to the team and to the employees. But at the end of the day, they they try to keep their privacy. And this is why they probably sometimes, how shall I say, um, look a little bit distanced.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, everyone has a personality that comes out one way or the other. Kimi famously comes out as the anti-personality, which is just makes him desired that much more in just this huge fit of irony. And uh Antonio Giovanazzi just seems to just have just a deep love for the sport and uh, and also a deep love for his native Italy, but you don't get huge amounts otherwise but uh much more interesting to me is the deep personality of uh Franca Schroeder and all the work you do and I just find it so interesting to hear about just a little bit of your world before we end. I am curious because you're part of this Formula One team and it is such a hectic schedule, do you work immense hours in the week or do you have some sense of normalcy from a work life and a personal life?
2: So I can give you a really nice example because those two, the current week is quite a a packed week. I was in the wind tunnel last Saturday I was in the tunnel yesterday. I'm out of the tunnel today, Wednesday, Thursday, and on, on Friday I go back to the tunnel for Friday and Saturday. So out of nine days, I am no, out of eleven days, I'm working nine days. Yeah, yeah. So I think it it comes with a it comes with a sport. Know that you have to put in the hours and you have to let's say overachieve and try to push the limits. Of course, there are times where You can slow down, but when it matters, then you make sure that everything is prepared uh, for your test and then it doesn't matter what time it is.
0: Yeah, sure, 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 sure. And uh, as, as a senior aerodynamicist, do you have like the most aerodynamic pencil in the world, or if you had custom fitted your office chair to have a lower coefficient of drag? Or do you have any other neat tricks that you use your talents on?
2: No, I think we focus on our our talents on the race car. So I think our office uh, looks less futuristic than uh, an uh, office of Google or Facebook or anything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Dr. Franke Schroeder, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. It was absolutely wunderbar. I so deeply appreciate it. Uh, Thank you. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Thank you for your time. And thank you for the wonderful questions.
0: Oh man. Yeah. What a pleasure to speak with, uh, uh, Dr. Schroeder about that and such a cool like glimpse into that world. And just, it's a bunch of really hardworking people, just really smart doing really innovative things. I I think that's the nice way to sum it up. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Arrow is where it's been at for some time in formula one and, uh, it is, uh, it is an extraordinary thing they do, the way they visualize the, the flow around the cars, either in the tunnel or using CFD tools, so
0: and, very good insight. And all the specific things that have to be done with those tools and all the different ways that you're trying to optimize time. I mean, if you think about racing at its most fundamental level, what you're trying to do is maximize work done in a given amount of time. On, in the race car, fairly obvious. The faster you can go in a given amount of time, the better off you are. But every part of racing is how do you maximize time? And the work that Franca does, Franca does to maximize time in the wind tunnel and maximize the usefulness of the wind tunnel, it's just so, so interesting. And it just gets to the point that everything, everything in Formula 1 is important and is about, and is about time. So I, I think that's super cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So um, we have no race coming up this weekend. Um, but the following week, we are off to Mexico, Mexico Grand Prix. That is going to be, what is it, November something? 5th, I think. So yeah, we have the Mexican Grand Prix, November 5th. And then just the week after that will be the Brazilian Grand Prix. What we are going to do as a result is we are not going to have a show next week. We will wait to cover the Mexican Grand Prix after that has happened. So that is what we got going on right now. Chris, do you have any closing thoughts?
1: So the Mexican Grand Prix weekend starts on the 5th. The race is on the 7th and Brazil's on the 14th. Um, and then we have Qatar. So we have a triple header. So uh, it's going to be a busy old month.
0: And they're, and they're all right next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness! <laughs> yeah, just just you know, little short, little cruises between the, those venues: Mexico, Brazil, and Qatar. Man, oh man! Yeah, triple header indeed.
1: Um, I guess the the final thought is you know, the, looking at the standings. So twelve points between Max and and Lewis. Uh, both have a massive. Advantage over Botas in, in third. But the uh, Perez has now snuck into fourth place, uh, one point ahead of Lando. And Charles has uh, snuck ahead of his teammate uh, on 128 versus a 122.5 points for Carlos Sainz. So all to play for in the, in the uh, driver standing still. And from the constructors, we talked about the top two. But McLaren have a slender three-and-a-half point lead over Ferrari in the battle for third. Uh, And then there's a big old gap down to Alpine who uh, have a decent 10 point uh, lead over Alfa Tauri. So I guess the, uh, the the constructors really is all going to be about McLaren versus Ferrari.
0: Yeah, that's what it's looking like. And we'll see if Red Bull can uh, really start to pinch Mercedes in these next couple of Grand Prix and make that interesting as well. But, uh, while you have the weekend off now what you should definitely do is watch my latest video it is on the Cadillac CT4 V Blackwing and this car this car is really something it is like an M3 BMW M3 competitor and it is a compelling compelling offer from Cadillac it has a lot of power a lot of track capability and in my video I talked with the chief engineer about that car and lapped it around racetrack myself. I actually got back on the track in a car again, and it was oh, such a delight to, you know, feel some lateral Gs and uh, be beyond the limit and, you know, eclipse 125 miles an hour on the straights. This thing is not slow.
1: Yeah, I, I took a look at the video. It looked like you had a lot of fun there, mate. Slightly jealous. Uh, V8 sounds pretty sweet, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, and that is a V six in that car, a twin turbocharged, there you go. three point <laughs> six liter V <V6>. six. <laughs> so that is a that is a compliment if, if you uh, from Chris Roche if there ever was one, right? So,
1: <laughs> well, I was reading that this might be the last generation of Caddies um, with uh, internal combustion engines. It's all going to be EV. Yeah, this is the swan song for these cars.
0: Cadillac is pushing really hard into the EV space. These are brand new cars for 2022. And uh, yeah, it very well could be exactly that. But if you're going to have a last hurrah with internal combustion, this is a mighty, mighty fine way to do it. So I please, I encourage you guys to take a look at this video. I had a lot of fun putting it together. I had a lot of fun (laughs) lapping the track. So uh, it was definitely worth doing. And in, Which track was that, Robin? This is a place called, uh, well, the short, it's Pittsburgh International Raceway, I think is the full name. Pitt Race is what it's known. It's outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and it's, it's on the um, western side of Pennsylvania, uh, just north of the city of Pittsburgh. And it's a great, it's a great layout. Nice track, nice natural elevation changes and some interesting blind entry apex corners and some some apexes at crests of hills and things like that so it's
1: a it's a cool place yeah it looked like a fun circuit no doubt
0: but for now i want to thank you for listening please take a moment to review us on itunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com as always i can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars and check out our facebook page at facebook.com slash cars. chris just what a lovely chat a lovely morning and a lovely cup of tea <laughs> thank you robin i'm robin warner goodbye